This episode of the Yoga Wine Bar Podcast is brought to you by Inner North Star and the North Star Retreat Center. Whether you are looking for a complete life reboot, a yoga and meditation getaway, or a space to simply bring more mindfulness to everything you do, this is the Retreat Center for you. Located high on top of a mountain in San Diego's backcountry, you will really feel like you have gotten away from it all. In addition, there's a 20s-themed champagne room that will make your next event truly a memorable one. For more information, please visit innernorthstar.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-N-O-R-T-H-S-T-A-R.com. You can also track everything they're doing on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the same name. And now, here is the next episode of the Yoga Wine Bar podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Yoga Wine Bar podcast. My name is Michelle Dutro. I am your host. And if you hear a little background noise, we're at a very unique recording today. We are actually at the Story of Soil wine tasting room in Los Olivos, California. By the way, if you haven't been here, it's been a little bit since I uh, have cruised through this town. I'm fairly certain if there's 100 storefronts, 98 of them are wine tasting rooms. It is, if you are anywhere near Santa Barbara at all, you must come here and don't plan on driving home. It's absolutely amazing. But the most amazing place is the place I'm in right now. I am joined in this moment with Jessica Gasca and a, and a few other folks here who are tasting her amazing wine. But with that, uh, while I could give you a deep dive into her diverse background and risk-taking to become a winemaker, I want uh, her to share a little bit with you that maybe isn't on the website that you wouldn't have known otherwise. So, Jessica, what should we know about you? Let's see. Um, I am a Mexican-American woman that started this winery without two dimes to rub together. And really, with the help of my husband, uh, his passion and our passion combined got this tasting room open by hard work um, and are really proud of that. There's about 10 different things that I want to do a deep dive on just that single statement alone. First of all, you're a female winemaker, which is a big enough thing. Let's back this up. At what point in time in life did you say, you know what I'm going to do with my life? My stamp uh, on this generation is going to be this amazing winemaking here in this part of the country. When did that start? It started in, in my 20s when I was unhappy in what I was doing in life. So my late 20s, um, I was, I'd gotten my degree in something completely different. And I was uh, actually at the time working in restaurant management and was very unhappy with that career and decided I didn't want to be in the restaurant business for my, my lifetime uh, and lifestyle. And so decided to go back to school and get my master's degree, um, following up on what I originally had gotten my degree in. And as I was studying to go back to get my master's, I realized I did not want to go down that, that path as well. And I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew that I had a passion for wine. And in parentheses, after that, I will add drinking, wine drinking. Um, I was always, uh, I'd go wine tasting with friends and family, and I was always kind of the one person that would 
ask the question. So I did have a passion for wine, um, but I did not know exactly what I was getting myself into when I decided I wanted to learn how to make wine. So did you first start with the idea of I want to learn how to make wine before ever considering I'm going to go really with this level of investment of, uh, you know, uh, having your own tasting room and your, all of these labels? And at, at what point in time did it go from, oh, I'd like to learn a little bit more about this to I'm, I'm really involved? So in quite honesty, I actually had, in retrospect, had zero idea what the, excuse my language, hell I was getting myself into. Um, and thank goodness, because if I would have known what opening your own business was like, I probably wouldn't have done it. So maybe uh, ignorance is bliss is kind of a great thing for somebody who had a dream, essentially. Um, at the time, I did not have the idea that, oh, I'm going to open a tasting room and I'm going to... I mean, I did in a sense because I had been to Los Libos, I'd been to Napa, I'd done wine tastings in different regions and I'd really appreciated where I would go and what I would do. So I did have that sort of like, the, God, that would be an amazing thing. But not in the not in the concrete sense of, here's my business plan, I'm going to move up and this is my business plan. I moved up here from Southern California to learn how to make wine, to learn the craft of winemaking. And through that first harvest, I, that was my realization of, oh, this is, this feels good. This is, this is amazing. So one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you, first of all, you're a female winemaker. That's a big deal to me. All of the first interviews that I'm doing on this podcast, uh, if you're listening to this, you've noticed are all women. But what I loved about your story was it was evident, at least to me, through reading about you, this wasn't a walk in the park. This isn't winemaking as I'm fifth generation. I know everything there is to know. I knew what I was doing from minute one. And I know that there's people that listen to this podcast that have a dream or think they have a dream and are maybe a little concerned with, is the dream the romantic side of what this is going to be like versus, like you said, sometimes it's good to not know what you don't know because maybe you wouldn't launch into it. So I want to go down two different paths on that. One, what were your biggest hurdles that you didn't know to even ask about or think about or consider that you said, boy, if I would have known about this, I may not have gone forward. So for anybody who is actually entertaining this idea, what are some of those that you came across that you had no idea were even going to be as huge as they were? So quite honestly and unfortunately, the wine industry is a rich white man's industry. And I say that, you know, I might piss some people off, but if you look at the history and who who gets the attention, who gets the, um, the accolades, who's featured in the big wine publications. It's the big companies with deep pockets. And one of the biggest hurdles I found, it's expensive to do, to do what we do. Um, we struggle every year to make sure we can pay our harvest bills and pay our fruit bills still every single year. Um, and it's not that way for a lot of these beautiful chateaus that people may go up to and they see this dream and they think, oh, it must be amazing to be, you know, a vineyard owner or a winemaker or a winery owner. Um, I'm sure it is if you are 
generationally included into maybe what your great-grandparents or parents or anybody has produced for you um, or even even people that have made their own money and, and done it but do have deep pockets um, because it is an expensive thing so one of the biggest hurdles I think is having people understand that wine is not about the chateau that you go to you can go to certain regions in the world where it's about that experience and hey I'm all for that experience too it's beautiful it's it's so romantic to go to a big beautiful chateau in France or in Italy or in Napa um, or even here in Santa Barbara but to me that's not what wine is about so wine is about what's in the glass so I think some of the hurdles are the fact that the the general public and the population that drinks wine is more mesmerized by the big shows than by what is actually being poured in your glass and how did that wine get in your glass in the first place, which is a huge thing that people don't actually know about that process. So so it's one of the big reasons uh, for launching this podcast, which again is another reason why I'm uh, really happy and excited to talk to you because it is about that. And I do think that if we could bring more mindfulness to all areas of life, then life in general would have more meaning. And one of the ways I thought to start that conversation or to continue it is bring more mindfulness to what you're already doing. And projection here, because I drink wine, I figured, well, everybody drinks wine, so let's bring more mindfulness to this moment drinking wine. For you and the name Story of Soil. So let's go through what that means to you. So for the hurdles, for, uh, you know, uh, if you know anything about the, uh, you know, owning a winery or being uh, a wine tasting room, anything affiliated with this, to the point, unless you come into this as Maximilian, um, there's no get-rich-quick scheme. In fact, for most people, it better be a side hobby and a labor of love, um, because to even break even is uh, excelling for most people. That said, your love and your passion for why you're doing this uh, with a two-year-old, no less, is huge. So what is the name Story of Soil when you say, hey, it's much more than what the chateau is on the side of the hill or the fancy label on the bottle. It's what's in the glass. So for you, I can feel your heart coming through that. What does that mean to you specifically about what you're tasting in the glass and the name the Story of Soil and how that relates to your particular wine? So, um, my husband and I don't own any land, farmland, and for me, wine, there's a reason I'm, you can see plenty of places around the world where wine is uh, named after the person that makes the wine. I really don't believe that wine is about me. Um, I believe that the wine that I produce is about the land it was grown and the slice of geography, microclimate, soil, um, geology, topography, whatever you want to call it. It is about that. And so for me, I just want to take what's being farmed, that, that typicity in the varietal and the place, and deliver it to you, the consumer, so that you understand the area in which it's grown. And for me, that's Santa Barbara County, which I am a huge champion of. Um, I, I really do. My goal is not even about story of soil. It, my goal is about Santa Barbara County and what we have to offer um, the rest of the world of wine, which I think is a pretty special thing. Um, 
So that's kind of what story of soil means uh, for me. It's about the place in which the grape is grown. So for you, talk to somebody who may be a novice, uh, or they could be, could be very experienced for that matter. What's unique character, characteristically about this area's wine over even, say, up the coast at Napa? Besides the obvious where we've got some temperature differentiations, but if you were to taste it side by side, what to you stands out of this is Santa Barbara? I think that Santa Barbara County has incredible... So we have we have this little microclimate that creates ideal growing conditions for grapes and that's that you can taste that in the wine. So there's something that I think all winemakers really aim for and that's balance. That is definitely, I think one of the most important things when you're tasting a wine is the acidity um, with you know, the the fruitiness or the earthiness or like everything has to be in a really great balance. And I think that's what we aim for. If you taste through Santa Barbara County, you really taste so many producers making extremely balanced wines. And that has to do with our climate here. The climate is incredible. We have California sunshine to help ripen the fruit. And we also have the wind and the fog that helps uh, you know, cool the fruit down, which helps then therein capture acidity, which is an extreme, extremely important part of, of what's in your wine. Um, that is all due to our east-west mountain ranges, which is extremely rare in the world of wine. Most grape-growing valleys sit between mountain ranges that run north-south. We're one of the only places on the planet um, that do have this phenomenon of the, the east-west mountain range. So we have, again, California sunshine, ripening fruit, the wind and the fog, cooling things down, um, which is a pretty special little thing. So that said, you're in the right area. It sounds like um, overcoming a few big hurdles that aren't going away probably anytime soon with a very male-dominated field, as uh, a lot are out there. Why is this worth it to you? Oh my God, that's a great question. Why is this worth it to me? It's worth it to me because when you when you do something that you love to do, it's it 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 you want to continue on. I don't I don't ever get up or go to work dreading my day. I don't, it is, I'm so blessed on the back of my wine bottle, it says wine made in gratitude. I am so blessed to be doing this as my life's work. Um, I don't ever take that for granted, but it's, it's special. It's special and it feeds my soul. And it is, it is a, a, a lot about being a part of the land and being in touch with mother nature and I get to literally make a product from the fruits of this earth, which is, how amazing is that? How incredible is that? And I think that that's what kind of, I don't know, just, uh, I feel very grateful to be doing this, so. So you have a two-year-old? Yes. So let's fast forward uh, to the end of his life and he's talking to his grandkids and says, I know you never met her, but let me tell you about her legacy. Oh God, you're gonna make me cry. 
when you imagine him reflecting about your time here, what do you most want that to be about? I would really hope that in my career, I can bring awareness to a wine consumer that not all wine is created equal. You know, we now live, we have the, the benefit of living in a farm to table world. I feel like we're, we're maneuvering more into that world more and more every day. As I raise a child, I realize I want organic. I want to give him food that is healthy for him. I don't want him to, to eat manufactured things. What people don't understand is that wines, specific wines are manufactured as well. So if at the end of my life I can bring awareness to wine, which is a big industry for our, our government, um, to understand that the, the wine that you get off the grocery store shelf you know, in the big box supermarket stores, uh, those are manipulated wines. They add things to them. Our government currently allows, I don't know, around 60 additives to be put into wines. These wines are manufactured in a different way. They are more of a product. Small production, high quality, natural made wines, which is what we're really trying to do here, doesn't have that manipulation. I didn't know in my 20s I didn't know when I started drinking wine. It, it doesn't matter what age. I apologize for that. It doesn't matter what age, but people are unaware that, you know, that $12.99 bottle of Cabernet that they're getting off the grocery store shelf is actually done in a giant stainless steel tank and people are throwing in, you know, oak, oak chips to make it seem like wine or, or Color Pro or gum Arabic or certain things in this product. So if I could do anything, it would be one to bring awareness to how wine is actually made and to bring awareness, obviously, to Santa Barbara because I love this area. So if somebody wanted to learn more about you and what you're doing and where to actually get quality wine, how would they find you? So we are a very small producer. Um, unfortunately, and I would say it's a good problem to have. Our, our wines are selling out very quickly. Uh, mostly we sell here at our tasting room and through our wine club. Um, you can find our wines at very specific, really beautiful, high-quality restaurants. Um, this harvest will be at about 2,000 cases. My goal as a winemaker is to be at 2,500 cases and cap it at that. Um, and my hope is to have our wines placed at some really great restaurants throughout the country. But mostly it's just going to be through here, our website. Um, so through here at our tasting room or our website. Or and what is our your website? It is www.storyofsoilwine.com, and that's wine with no S. All right, and that will be a, there will be a link on show notes as well, so you can find that. And while we're talking about this legacy of yours and what quality wine is, we have a glass of wine in front of us. So before we wrap up, we certainly are not going to have that go to waste. <laughs> so if you would be so kind, uh, tell me what it is that I'm getting ready to taste, and uh, what makes this particularly unique so you have it in your glass I think we all have in our glass do you want a little bit more okay it's Tammy um, the producer who's saying no which is uh, no means yes to her on that but uh, that's all right <laughs> um, I'm pouring a gamay gamay noir the, the grape is actually called gamay noir au jus blanc but people have shortened it over time to gamay uh, same grape varietal that is known in the Beaujolais region. So Beaujolais, Beaujolais Nouveau, people know it as Beaujolais. The grape varietal is actually Gamay. And 
it is a sister grape, if you will, to Pinot Noir. So it is on the lighter side, um, but it's much earthier, much funkier, a super fun wine. There's not much of it grown in Santa Barbara County. It's uh, only about 12 acres currently in Santa Barbara County, although I do know some other producers are planting the grape. And we are now getting into a generation where we do not want to drink our parents' wine. So you're going to find a lot more fun things coming out of not only Santa Barbara, but other places as well as we move out of the only Cabernet, only Chardonnay drinking stage and phase of where we are as a, as a wine world. Um, so we have some, some fun plantings of things like Gamay Noir. So super rare to find these days, but I think you will, you will find more of it extremely food friendly and it does not break the budget, by the way. You could go to Beaujolais and, and buy some of the best crew Beaujolais you will ever have and it will run you a good 50 bucks. Um, you know, where you can't say that about Bordeaux or Burgundy or Napa Cab, things like that. So pretty fun, food friendly, easy drinking, bright wine. And what are the wines? There's a few of us, uh, or a few bottles here in front of us. What are some of the other wines that you um, make here? So we produce some Sauvignon Blanc. We produce Gruner Veltliner. We, I'm a little bit, I am a little bit obsessed with Pinot Noir. And so I work with currently about five different Pinot Noir vineyards. We work with a few Grenache vineyards and a few Syrah vineyards. So is the Pinot Noir your favorite? since you paused on that one, even though I said uh, pour the one that you most want to talk about, which was not that. Yeah, I I poured the Gamay because it's fun and it's funky and it's different. Um, I have a personal love affair with Pinot Noir um, because I don't, I don't understand it. <laughs> I try to understand it and it, I just can't come to understand it. And that... What I mean by that is wine for me, people will ask me like, oh, what's your favorite wine of yours? And I, I always say, I don't drink my own wines. There's never, literally never a night where I will go home and open up a bottle of my own wine because wine to me is really about discovery. And Pinot Noir is the one varietal that always just keeps me guessing and I want to discover as much as I can. So it's the one grape varietal that I really also feel shows the place, which is why I probably work with more Pinot Noir vineyards than any other vineyards, or sorry, any other varietals. Well, one thing I appreciate you, which I wish more people had this affinity to, which is having a love affair with things they don't quite understand. Yeah. Most of us migrate to, I'm gonna go to what I know, understand, get, and then never grow because of it, yeah, which is uh, lovely and certainly uh, speaks to your level of gratitude in everything that you do. That said, in wrapping up, as I end every show this way, uh, out of the wine uh, that you can reflect back on having, uh, whether your own or someone else's, um, what is a favorite memory, a favorite story that comes to mind uh, that you've had over sharing a glass or a bottle of wine? Um. I definitely think that I have had so many memories in my life surrounded by friends and family and wine. So wine connects people, which I think is fantastic. But for me, it would be any time falling in love with my husband over a glass or a bottle or two of wine. <laughs> uh, that would be my probably favorite reason for drinking and favorite memory for drinking wine. 
Well, what you're all missing, uh, what you don't get to see because this is a podcast and not a YouTube channel uh, yet, unfortunately, was uh, Jessica light up uh, with saying that story <laughs> is uh, you can always see someone's absolute truth. So uh, that's very lovely. I wish your husband was here to witness that, but I will make sure that he <laughs> knows about that uh, and certainly gets to re-listen to this story. So um, I truly do appreciate this time. Um, your wisdom, the struggle, the journey that you've been through, because it is through stories like this that hopefully give people the inspiration that maybe you're on the brink of quitting or maybe you're on the brink of never even starting mm -hmm. to say, you know, I know there's a lot of things out there, but at the end of the day, your legacy is worth it. Yes. So with that, Jessica, thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you listeners for listening to this episode of the Yoga Wine Bar podcast. Thank you. This episode of the Yoga Wine Bar Podcast was brought to you by Inner North Star and the North Star Retreat Center, reminding you that the next person you meet, that next conversation you have over a glass of wine could be the one that changes your life. Stay present and cheers to making every moment matter.